It is Thursday, July 21st here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Mola. And if you're on Twitter at all today, you might notice us announcing the draft orders for the third annual Draft Sharks Invitational. We've run it twice already, Jared. Peter Overzet won the first year. Chad Schroeder won last year. It, of course, brings together some of the top fantasy analysts and some of the top high-stakes fantasy football players. You know, one best ball tournament just to kind of get bragging rights over everybody and to take away some of our boss's money. Yeah. It's always funny announcing the leagues because the reactions like, Oh, this, this league is loaded. And then we announce that the next league, Oh, this league is even more loaded than the last one. So it's a, it's definitely an impressive group of drafters. I've struggled in it the last couple of years. I'm, you know, cause it, it is such tough. It's the toughest competition I, I face all year in any fantasy league. I'm happy to say that I won my league the first year, finished, I think I finished second last year. I got overtaken by Crack Rock in that league. So I'll, I'll be looking to bring it back up to the top. We will be hosting those leagues on Fantrax for the first time ever this year. Of course, Fantrax.com, free to everybody to use, free to us to set up. And Jared, I know that you just finished setting up all six of these invitational leagues on there. And setting up six fantasy football leagues is not an enviable task anywhere, but how did it go for you on Fantrax? Yeah, well, I really only had to set up one because Fantrax has the, a copy league feature. So I just had to set up the first league and it's like five pushes of a button and I got the uh, five other leagues. I just had to change the owners and the draft time. You know, the um, DS invite is, you know, has some funky rules, uh, super flex, Tight end premium scoring, you know, 1.5 PPR for tight ends versus one PPR for the rest of the positions. You know, it's basketball, 25 rounds, but, you know, Fantrax handled, handled that easily. And you know, it took me 10 minutes to set up all those leagues. And of course, they will be able to give us a full overall leaderboard, which we'll all be tracking throughout the season to, to see who wins the largest share of Lenny Papano's money at the end. So, yeah, Fantrax.com. Rich in features, easily customizable, free for everybody. Go to Fantrax.com slash Draft Sharks and set up your free league now. If you do it inside of July, you get a shot at a signed Travis Kelsey jersey. So make sure you go ahead and get your shot at that. I know, Jared, one thing that I'm looking forward to to help me try to win my league again, hopefully the overall prize, is the Draft Sharks War Room, which is even better this year. And we'll be syncing with Fantrax drafts and we'll be able to handle the Superflex format. I think that's one reason that I really love the drafts that are outside of the norm. You know, not too kooky where nobody knows what's going on, but just different yeah. enough that everybody doesn't come in having already done, you know, 200 of these in mock or best ball draft form and knowing exactly what to expect. I think I need to trust my draft sharks war room more this year in that draft. I feel like I've sort of strayed from it. I'm like, ah, oh, no, that's not right. I'm not going to you know, take this quarterback over this running back, but you know, the board is telling me to do that. I should probably trust the numbers. You know, the board is customized to the exact league scoring. It knows who's on my team. It knows who's still on the board, you know, how much value is at certain positions. And it takes that all into account to sort of, you know, give you an overall ranking, give you a top, you know, four or five list of players to target. So I think that's what I'm going to do this year. I'm going to actually trust the board and see if, uh, you know, things go better for me. 
yeah, even more useful is stuff like super flex and tight end premium, because it can get tougher to intuitively rate those positions against each other when you have different scoring options than what you usually play with. So uh, definitely helps there. And I mean, the, the sync is taking players off as you draft. So it makes it easier to keep up with those rankings and have, you know, recommendations that work when it gets to your turn. So looking forward to that. We'll get those drafts. We'll keep announcing the leagues throughout today and tomorrow. We've got six leagues going. The drafts are in the first two weeks of August. We'll be streaming all of those right here. So you can watch them live on YouTube. You can listen to the podcast. Today, we are getting into our sixth divisional preview. It is AFC North Day. Jared, let's start with the Baltimore Ravens, who didn't really have anything of note on the coaching change front, right? No, John Harbaugh back for his 15th season as head coach. Greg Roman back for his fourth season as Baltimore's offensive coordinator. Of course, last year we got a big change in play calling philosophy from these Ravens. So in Greg Roman's first two seasons as offensive coordinator, the Ravens threw on basically 44% of their plays. It was a 44.0 and then 44.1% pass rate. That spiked to 56.4% in 2021. Um, And their situation neutral pass rate also spiked uh, from 42.6% and 43.9% Roman's first two years to 53.8% last year. So it was, you know, a, it was by design that this team wanted to throw it more last season. The question I think is why that was the case. Is it, they wanted to do it. They wanted to put more on Lamar Jackson's plate or is it because they lost basically their entire running back core in August last season? I would imagine that it was some of each of those things. I remember saying last summer, I think there's a chance based on the moves that they've done drafting Rashad Bateman uh, among them, you know, based on their moves this offseason, I wonder if they're going to throw the ball more. And yet I still didn't let that make me draft Mark Andrews. So that's one of those kind of learning going forward. If I think this, then what else does that mean for who I should draft where? We'll talk more about Mark Andrews as we get further into this one. I, I do think it's part both of those. We obviously don't know what the impact would have been had those running backs been healthy, but it makes sense that a team's not going to pass the ball on just 44% of plays every year, regardless of who their quarterback is. Yeah. So for projecting them, I'm closer to last year's rates than I am the previous years. I projected the mm-hmm. team at 53-47. That's down from 56-44 the year before, but obviously still way up from the 44% pass rates of the previous two seasons, as you mentioned. Yeah, I kind of split the difference. I'm at 51% pass right now, and there, there are still a lot of moving parts here, which we'll get into. I mean, we still don't know about J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards for the start of the season. Um, you know, Baltimore traded away their number one wide receiver in last year in, in Marquise Brown and haven't added much at the position. There's still a couple names out there that they could add that you know might shift towards might shift them towards the pass a little. So I'm at 51% pass for now. I, I could see that going up or down you know, over the next few weeks here. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's fair. I think anywhere in the neighborhood of 50-50 is probably good. I, I would not start out expecting back below 50% pass. I think it's yep. not also not fair to expect it to be up at last year's level. So otherwise, we're all guessing. And as you mentioned, they have questions that they need to answer heading in. If we thought, you know, if I thought last year heading into the season, maybe they're going to pass more, then I have to think by the way they've moved to this offseason, maybe they want to run more because they traded away Marquise Brown. They did not bring anybody else of note in. They're getting those two running backs back healthy, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins. So it seems as though they don't want to increase passing like they did last year. 
Quarterback Lamar Jackson, of course, regardless of what they're doing, is at the center of everything and missed some time last year, lost the last four games with an ankle sprain, also missed nearly all of the game before that, the game where he got hurt, and missed another game with illness in Chicago. Kind of, he, he still had the Lamar Jackson spike weeks. He matched Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes for the most weeks of 35-plus fantasy points for the season despite playing just 12 games and, as I said, just 11 real games. Um, that's inside of an article I just posted on DraftSharks.com today, looking back at QB scoring with spike weeks and who scored like a top 12 quarterback most often. And Lamar Jackson, outside of those spike weeks, kind of meh results otherwise. Top 12 level scoring in seven of his 12 games overall, 58.3%. That's eighth among quarterbacks. You know, it gets a little bit better if you take out the game where he got hurt, but still not your best bet to get top 12 level scoring, but did have that spike week potential when he was healthy. And really one key thing is that his rushing yards per game were still there. They were up a little bit versus the previous season, despite an offensive line that could probably stand to rebound some this year. Yeah. Jackson's been top three among quarterbacks in rushing fantasy points per game in each of the last three seasons. So that, you know, that's, that's a safe bet to continue. He's going to remain, you know, one of, if not the best running quarterback in the NFL. Um, I, I mean, last year felt, disappointing for Lamar Jackson maybe it's because he you know missed the final month of the season month plus of the season but in those 11 healthy games you talked about he was quarterback four in fantasy points per game behind only Josh Allen Tom Brady Justin Herbert Lamar Jackson was just ahead of Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray in fantasy points per game so he was still he was still awesome Uh, again that was largely fueled by the rushing production his PFF passing grade has actually declined now each year since 2019 he was 22nd out of 31 qualifiers last year. I just think Lamar is what he is at this point as a passer. Like he, like he, he's probably a league average passer, but you know, you throw on the rushing ability and you know, I, he, I think he's a safe bet for top five production. And he does have the potential to, you know, finish as a top one or two quarterback in fantasy. And it's certainly still early enough in his career that he could still improve as a passer. Things have changed plenty around him. So, you know, as long as we don't go in saying, oh, this is the year that he really blows it up as a passer, I think we'll be okay because the rushing gives him a floor, it gives him that ceiling, and then anything he can do passing is good. The passing touchdown rate came way down last year, but it was way up before that. So if that can kind of – I guess we're waiting to see what normalizing is for that. We'll see if yeah. it's in between the two extremes so far, or if it winds up closer to what he did last year in that category. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest concern passing wise, which we'll get into here is, you know, again, they lost Marquise Brown and have not added anything. So it's, you know, Rashad Bateman, who we all, we all like, but he's still unproven. And then Mark Andrews and not much behind those two, as far as weapons go. On to running backs before we get to those pass catchers more. And, J.K. Dobbins either will or won't be ready for the opener, depending on who you listen to, because Ian Rappaport is reporting that he uh, it doesn't sound like he'll be ready for the opener. It was there's a chance that he could open the season on the sidelines and maybe not be ready for a couple of games after that. Of course, then J.K. Dobbins tweeted like, why don't you ask me and I'll tell you, I'll definitely be ready for the opener. And frankly, regardless of what's true here, what the hell is the point of reporting this stuff without trying to talk to the player? I mean, they're so quick to try to tweet out stuff, even if it's such a minimal report, like, oh, J.K. Dobbins might not be ready for the opener. Like, he doesn't have the ability to contact Dobbins and see, even if you don't believe the player's words, say, oh, this is what somebody told me, this is what Dobbins told me. That's what reporting is. Yeah, you'd think. I mean, it's a it's a dead time of the year. I'm sure Ian's just trying to get something out there. And, and like you alluded to, I don't. I wouldn't expect Dobbins to say anything else. So we'll, we'll just see on this. I mean, it's interesting because you know Dobbins tore his ACL on August 28th last year, and also in that Rappaport little video clip. I don't know if this was 
previously known and I just missed it, but Rappaport mentioned that there was also meniscus damage to Dobbins knee and Rappaport's actual quote was damage to the lateral side. I don't think that's like a medical term. I don't even know exactly what that means, but I mean, the takeaway is it was more than just an ACL. And that makes sense considering he's going to be, he's 11 months removed from it now. And he's still, you know, not ready to go. Or usually it's, you know, nine, maybe 10, 10 month injury. So yeah, just Dobbins status up in the air. Um, I think his effectiveness early in the season is up in the air and even, even beyond the knee stuff. Like I have concerns with Dobbins, not as a player, but as far as the situation goes, the biggest one is just the, the lack of pass catching upside. Um, you know, Greg Roman's offenses have historically not targeted the running backs. Lamar Jackson, you know, as a running quarterback, we know those guys tend to target running backs at a lower rate. So that's just kind of what has me um, not as excited as some people about Dobbins' fantasy upside, even when he is healthy. And we all know that he's a talented player, but we don't know yet how much of the rushing share the Ravens want to give him. Cause the last time we actually saw JK Dobbins playing football, Gus Edwards was getting the ball more often than we all wanted him to. So maybe that's where Baltimore wants it. I, I throw in too, that even if his knee is good by the opener, history tells us that running back is one of the toughest positions for coming back next season from that ACL tear. So, I mean, put it all together and I'm just not going to be on JK Dobbins at all this year. I mean, there might be a share here or there, but I'm not worried about missing out on something special from Dobbins this year. He's been one of the easiest fades for me, regardless of what his price has been through draft season. Yeah. And we'll see what happens to his ADP. If you know, that Rappaport report kind of takes off and he starts dipping. Um, but yeah, as of now, I, I have not, drafted a single share of Dobbins I haven't really even come close um and I, I'm not I'm not too worried about not not having any Dobbins Gus Edwards of course also coming off an ACL tear it doesn't sound like they're as worried about him but maybe there's just not as much talk about him because he's Gus Edwards <laughs> not as exciting as JK Dobbins he's a decent player even at full health really though I have taken maybe minimally more Gus Edwards than I have JK Dobbins because of him going much later and because of the concerns with Dobbins's knee. But overall, this is not a backfield where I'm targeting either of those players. Yeah. I'm with you um, largely because I have the same concern with Edwards his pass catching upside as Dobbins. You know, he just, Edwards is upside is even lower. Just, you know, Dobbins has kind of shown he can do it. Edwards, you know, doesn't even do it when he gets a, a chance. Um, his ACL tear happened a couple weeks after J.K. Dobbins, but it sounds like Edwards was a, a clean tear. So it does sound like he's ahead of Dobbins in his recovery. And he, he was awesome in 2020. Uh, Edwards actually beat J.K. Dobbins in PFF rushing grade that year. So, I mean, I think Dobbins is, you know, trending towards becoming a better player. But you factor in, you know, coming off the knee injury and the fact that Gus Edwards is a nice runner, um, Again, I, I think even when Dobbins is healthy, it's going to be some, you know, some sort of committee in this backfield. I agree. And the fact that both of those guys are coming off ACL tears makes Tyler Beatty at least worth talking about. Uh, the pro for him, a workhorse final season at Missouri. He, of course, is a rookie now. 1,604 rushing yards, 14 touchdowns, 6.0 yards per carry that season. 54, 304 receiving in that year as well. 126 career receptions in four seasons at Missouri. The con on him just 5'8", 197, so he's like Tyler Irvin size, did run a 4.45 second 40 in pre-draft testing. So I'm going to be watching the knees and considering Tyler Beatty very late in drafts as I approach the season. And then if both Dobbins and Edwards are ready to go, Beatty's an easy cut at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and despite that massive senior season, he fell to the sixth round of the NFL draft. Um, You look at some of the, the PFF grades and the efficiency stuff and Beatty was just mediocre 
last season. So, it, you know, I think a season was more a result of the, the big volume he got. Um, and at his size, I don't think he's going to be a big volume guy in the NFL. He almost, to me, looks like a change of pace pass catching back. But you know, this is not the offense you want to be a change of pace pass catching back in. So not super excited about Beatty, but. I mean, if for some reason, you know, Dobbins and Edwards aren't ready for the start of the season, then, you know, Beatty might play a role that we're interested in. Right. If he was 15 or 20 pounds heavier, I think he'd be a lot more interesting. Mm -hmm. Probably would have gone earlier in the draft, too. Yep. On to the pass catchers. And we usually start with wideouts, but Mark (laughs) Andrews is the primary guy here. Led all tight ends and target share last year. 14th in that category across positions, 26.5% share. That's up from 23.7 in 2020, 23.4 in 2019. Those were both adjusted for games that he missed. But probably the biggest factor working for him last year was that extreme rise in pass rate for the team. As we mentioned, up from 44% the previous two years to 56% last year. So Mark Andrews got two and a half more targets per game than his previous high last season. Two more receptions per game than his previous high. And of course, with that, his yards per game came way up versus the previous two seasons. Yeah, I looked at Mark Andrews' pass routes run per game. It was 19.7 in 2019, 25 in 2020, and then 36.6 last year. So you said it, it was just the Ravens threw more. Andrews was in a pass route, you know, percentage-wise, a bit more than he was the previous two seasons. So that helped too. Um, but it was really just a volume thing for Andrews. Like he, he had been an elite producer on a – you know, per target, per route basis the previous couple of years, you just got more volume that led to the massive fantasy season. So, you know, it, again, if you, it all comes down to what you believe the Ravens offense is going to be, if it's going to be closer to last year, as far as, uh, you know, run pass split, then Andrews can, you know, contend with Travis Kelsey for the, for the you know top of the uh, position in fantasy points. If it goes back to what it was the previous two years, then I think, you know, Andrews is, you know, a tier below Kelsey and, you know, more in the Kyle Pitts, Darren Waller tier. Yeah, and of course, we'll talk about that ADP a little bit more and how, how that affects whether to believe in either way. Because if we both believe that it's going to be somewhere in between, you know, then the question becomes, how do you value him? And yep. the ADP is going to factor in there. On the wideout front, though, Rashad Bateman is the de facto number one now that Marquise Brown has been traded away. Tied for 64th in PPR points per game last year. Tied for 57th in expected PPR points per game. So a little bit under expectation in performance there. I'm sure the quarterback play didn't help that. And Jared, we have been talking some about Bateman behind the scenes in relation to Marquise Brown last year. Marquise Brown, 24th in points per game in PPR scoring last year, 11th in expected points per game. So it speaks to some of the upside available. Yeah, because if you remember, Brown dropped like three or four touchdowns last season. A few of them were long ones. So he he definitely underperformed his usage, which the numbers do show. And even if you just look at Marquise Brown's 11 games with a healthy Lamar Jackson, he was 11th in half PPR points per game in those 11 games. He was also 11th in expected uh, half PPR points per game in those games. So it, it is definitely, you know, as of now, we'll see, you know, I guess the two guys out there that Baltimore could still add that would impact Rashad Bateman's role would be Julio Jones and, and Will Fuller. Um, even those guys obviously come with questions. But as of now, you know, Bateman's set up to play, I think, at least a similar role to what Brown did last year, you know, with that 25% target share. Bateman himself still unproven in the NFL. Like, as you said, you know, there's nothing really to point to last year to get excited about, but I mean, you definitely need context. He had Bateman had the August 10th groin injury, needed surgery, missed, you know, the rest of training camp, all the preseason missed the first five games of the season. Then he returns for the final 12 games and, you know, he's missing Lamar Jackson for about half of those. So, you know, it would have been tough to expect him to do much more than he did, but he was a, 
great looking prospect coming out of Minnesota. Awesome college production throughout his three seasons there. Um, you know, didn't test great, but you know, definitely looked good on film. I, you know, I remember kind of copying him to like a Keenan Allen, Devontae Adams type of player where he's not going to, you know, win with athleticism, but he's crafty. He's a good route runner, reliable hands. So I'm excited about Bateman. Um, it's all, again, as long as Baltimore does not add one of these, you know, bigger name for agents, I think, I think he's set up for, for a big role in this passing game. Did play both inside and outside in college. Like you said, you don't point to anything from last year and say that's why he's going to be awesome this year. But it was a decent year when you consider all the context. Started the year injured, still managed to come on and work as the number two wide receiver. Was in like the 16 to 18% target share range for most of that. So that's not a big number, but it's an okay number when you're joining an offense that's got Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews already in place. And obviously Marquise Brown leaving now leaves that opportunity behind and you you hesitate to give that target share lead to somebody who hasn't given you reason to believe it's there but Bateman brings that college profile that says it could be in front of him so he certainly hasn't shown it yet in fantasy sometimes we have to bet on somebody before they show it otherwise we miss out on when they show it for that first time so there's upside to him and we'll talk more about where he belongs in drafts as we get to the ADP section Joining him at the wide receiver core, though, Devin Duvernay is heading into his third season with the Ravens, a speedy guy, former third round pick, can play inside and outside. John Harbaugh has talked him up this offseason, but the kind of pullback on that, if you do start getting excited about uh, Duvernay, is that most of his college career was pretty quiet until he had a monster year as a 22-year-old senior. Exactly, yeah, just 70 total catches across his first three seasons at Texas. Then he busted out for 106 catches. As a senior, as you mentioned, did get the third round draft capital, um, you know, had the 439-40 time. He's, he's 200 pounds, 5'11", 200, so he's not a big receiver, but he's not, you know, undersized, especially if he's going to be playing in the slot. He did, he played 91% of his snaps in the slot in that senior year at Texas. He's been 53% of his snaps in the slot over his first two NFL seasons, so the Ravens have shown that they will use him on the outside a bit. As of now, I, I'd consider him the favorite to be Baltimore's number two wide receiver. I think you know James Prochet is in the mix. Tylen Wallace might be in the mix. Um, and again, I think this is a team that should add something else to the position in August. But um, Duvernay would be the guy who you know I would I would bet on tepidly right now. You know, not a guy I'm super interested in drafting though. Mm-hmm. James Prochet, Tylen Wallace, as you mentioned, both of those guys had better college runs overall than Devin Duvernay did. Neither is anywhere near as fast as he is. Prochet was an old prospect, broke out in his first year at SMU, but was already 20 years old at that point. So that, you know, tapers the excitement for it a little bit. Wallace broke out at 19 at Oklahoma State, then tested terribly at the end of his college career, landed in round four, did nothing as a rookie. So nothing exciting about either of those guys, but they're not guys to forget about in this competition. I'll be mildly interested to see how things sort out and who there might be preseason or training camp buzz on among those three. But I I agree that there's, there's not enough among any of the three of them to truly get excited, which of course is another, you know, at least semi mark in Bateman's favor. For sure. Yeah. Um, The athletic named Prochet, the Ravens standout of mini camp and OTAs for whatever, for whatever that means. I don't think it means a whole lot. He's that kind of guy that can stand out in those spring workouts, a slot yeah. guy who's just like, you're like, he catches everything. He's always yeah. open. It's like, it's kind of because he plays a role where they're allowing him to be open. But, you know, there's some value to that. I think that it would be a more interesting competition if this were a higher volume passing offense. Yeah, again, I, I'm not sure the Ravens number two wide receiver is going to matter in fantasy, you know, as long as Bateman and Andrews are healthy. 
ADP review, Lamar Jackson is at QB4. That seems fair. 51.3 overall, kind of right in the range where I think he belongs. It's really, it depends on what I have drafted to that point, what is still on the board at running back and wide receiver for whether I'm taking quarterback at that point. But I'm certainly considering Lamar Jackson right there if I am looking quarterback. Yep, you know, he's probably my second favorite value among those top five quarterbacks behind Kyler Murray. Um, But, you know, after Murray, I like uh, Lamar Jackson. He's going like middle of the fifth round in these underdog drafts right now. And I think it's easier even to like Lamar Jackson in those best ball tournament drafts on underdog because Rashad Bateman is stackable at wide receiver 26. Whereas you have to choose between Marquise Brown, who's going a little bit expensive. We both acknowledged when we did the NFC West show or DeAndre Hopkins, who's going to miss six games. And then who knows what it looks like after that. So a little bit more of a stackable situation, even if you're not taking Mark Andrews where you need to now. Yeah, and Lamar would be just a single stack guy. Like I wouldn't even want to have Lamar plus Bateman plus Andrews. I just don't, don't think there's enough you know passing production in this offense for that to be worth it at, at these price tags. And even a quarterback that you can play naked, naked. Yep. At running back, we got J.K. Dobbins at RB21. It's a half round behind David Montgomery, a little more than a round behind Cam Akers, ahead of Josh Jacobs, Elijah Mitchell, A.J. Dillon. That really... That's kind of the range where I'm seeing dead zone this year. It has been round three to five recently. Like I can say, I can look at those names and say JK Dobbins is not terrible. If you compare him to those other players around him, but I would rather not be looking running back and needing a running back in that range from David Montgomery to AJ Dillon. Yeah. yeah that's about where I would place Montgomery. If he wasn't coming off the ACL and that we knew he was going to be ready for week one. Like that, that's where I think a fully healthy uh, Dobbins yeah. should be going Dobbins. Yep. And then a more than a round behind Dobbins is Antonio Gibson. And to me, I'm not excited about Antonio Gibson, but if I like JK Dobbins, why would I not like Antonio Gibson at a discount better? He's in a better position to potentially get targets. He doesn't have a running quarterback. Like to me, Antonio Gibson is a, he's not a better player than Dobbins, but he's healthier in that he's not coming off the ACL tear. And I think he's better situationally than JK Dobbins is. Yeah, I would, I, I'm taking Gibson straight up over Dobbins right now. And if you're getting the discount, it's easy. Gus Edwards, RB49. He's in a fair range, basically tied with Tyreon Davis-Price, slightly behind Tyler Algier, ahead of Kenneth Gainwell, Khalil Herbert, Daryl Williams, James Robinson, Marlon Mack, Jamal Williams. To me, the, the standout guy in that range value-wise is Jamal Williams, who's nearly two rounds behind Gus Edwards. But I'm okay with getting some Edwards as like a fifth running back. Yeah, Edwards is interesting to me now, mostly because I think his ADP could rise like 10 running back spots if we get to you know mid-late August and he's on the field, he's looking ready for week one and J.K. Dobbins is not. Because at that point, you know, you could you could be looking at Edwards as a guy who, you know, could be giving you like RB2 numbers for the first month of the season. Bateman, I mentioned wide receiver 26. I think that's a reasonable expectation for his output, or, you know, a reasonable level to set his expectation for usage and production. And then I think he has both talent and situation upside from there where he could just be good and could be efficient in what he gets from there and outscore that position. Or maybe they throw the ball a little bit more than we're projecting. And that gets him a little bit more from there. Overall, I think it's, it's a range where you don't have to say Rashad Bateman breakout season to be Mm -hmm. buying some of them at that level. Yeah, the, the more I dug into Brown's, you know, Marquise Brown's 2021 season for this podcast, the more optimistic I've gotten about Bateman, just the opportunity that, that Brown had. And I think Bateman could certainly be proved to be at least as talented or even more talented as Marquise Brown. So there's definitely the upside for him for him to, to beat that wide receiver 26 ADP pretty easily. 
And Duvernay is the next Ravens receiver, wide receiver, 86 and underdog ADP. So yeah. you don't have to bet on any of them. It's just like, okay, I'll take him here. Maybe it's on a Lamar team. Maybe it's in a Pittsburgh stack or whatever for week 17. Mark Andrews, though, tight end two, 20.4 overall. He's between Debo Samuel and Tyreek Hill on the overall board. Kyle Pitts is at 33rd overall. And Jared, I think that's the big comparison for deciding how much you like Mark Andrews at cost this year. Yeah, I don't have a strong take on Andrews or Pitts of those ADPs, which which I guess means I think they're about right. Um, I, I would rather take Travis Kelsey like at the you know one two turn than I would Mark Andrews, you know, seven or eight picks later, or Kyle Pitts in the you know mid third round. So I, I don't I don't have a ton of Mark Andrews, but I think he's fairly priced. I think among the three that Kyle Pitts, if he gets to the three, four turn is my favorite. And I'm okay with waiting to see if he gets there because I'm also okay with missing out on that range and taking a tight end after that. Andrews, you know, I can't say that he's a bad pick there, but I don't think that he's going to deliver value from that spot and more so than him versus tight ends. It's just a matter of you have to take him over, you know, some potential workhorse running back, some potential target share eaters at wide receiver. So I just mm-hmm. rather take one of those guys there than Mark Andrews. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say the way Andrews produced last year would make him a first round value this year. So you're, you're, you're getting a little discount for, you know, some regression, maybe the Ravens pushing back towards the run a little bit, but again, if they push all the way back or even close to all the way back, then you know, Andrews is going to have a really tough time paying off that ADP. And I will add that if he's in that early second round range in FFPC drafts, then I think that's a fair range to be considering him. Oh yeah, but he but he's not right. I think he's like a late first in FFPC. That's what I figured. Which you know, if it, if you're picking him tenth or what would it be, thirteenth or fourteenth, fifteenth, whatever, not a whole lot of difference. You're basically choosing from the same guys around that turn. Yep. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, he's he's one eleven in best ball ADP on FFPC. Yeah, I would say that's fair in the tight end premium format. So we'll yep. uh, we'll see what I think as I get to my main event draft for the FFPC this year. But for now, we'll move on to the Cincinnati Bengals, who also have no coaching changes of note. We're in the fourth year now of Zach Taylor as head coach, fourth year of OC Brian Callahan. The offense jumped last year from 26th and 29th in yards the two prior seasons to 13th, from 30th and 29th in scoring the two previous years to 7th. It was the first full season of Joe Burrow. It was the first year for some kid named Jamar Chase, who was pretty good. We actually saw a dip in pass rate overall, though, versus 2020, down to the the team's lowest pass rate since 2016. Yeah, I mean, I I assume that was – well, you know, we can get into it. It was, you know, early in the season, or really for most of the season, they were low. Then they kind of spiked late in the year. You know, from week week 16 through the Super Bowl, they went much run – much pass heavier. Yeah, the other – dip was in play volume um, just 61.5 offensive snaps per game for the Bengals last year they were at 65.6 plays per game and 65 plays per game in Zach Taylor's first two seasons as head coach so th- those were the, the the two things the play volume then the spike in pass rate late in the season that you know when I started doing projections I kind of thought I was going to be off this Bengals passing game because the efficiency stuff for all these guys was like off the charts it's going to be tough for, for Burrow and Chase especially to match last year's efficiency but I have the Bengals projected to throw it quite a bit more this year than they did last year. I think they're going to throw at a higher rate. And I also think they're going to run quite a bit more plays than they did last year. Yeah. Overall, the situation neutral pass rate was down from eighth in 2020 to 13th last year, but it picked up as the season went on. As you said, for example, from uh, when T Higgins returned from his early season shoulder injury in week five, from that point on, they were eighth in situation neutral pass rate. They especially started throwing the ball at the end of the year in the games that got them into the playoffs and then got them to the Super Bowl. So 
We'll see whether they stick with that. It certainly seems like there's reason to. So let's hope. I think to this point, Zach Taylor, I still don't believe that he's a help for any offensive pieces. Maybe they at least have enough talent, which they have tons of on that offense now. Maybe there's just so much talent that the coaching doesn't really matter for our fantasy production. Yeah, just get out of the way, Zach. Let uh, let Joe and Jamar and T do their thing. Yeah, so I mean, the, the Bengals finished last year at 58.3% pass. I projected them at 61% pass this season, so a pretty big jump, and it makes them, you know, in my projections, one of the pass-heavier offenses in the NFL. Yeah, I have them at 60.5% pass, so right about the same. It matches their 2020 rate, which, you know, mentioned the situation neutral rate. Um, they were, of course, trailing a lot in those games, so I think they'll pass a little bit more on purpose now. They should be a contender. They should also lean pass just overall. I mean, look at that team. If you don't lean yeah. pass with what they have on offense, then you should be fired, even if your team makes the playoffs. And the old, the old line's going to be much better this year, too, which I think, you know, will make them feel better about you know, dropping Joe Burrow back 40 times a game. They added Lyle Collins at right tackle, uh, guard Alex Kappa, and center Ted Karras. So, um, you know, three spots I think should be significantly upgraded on that O-line. Joe Burrow has been very good so far. He's still a little bit tough to judge. He made it through last season completely, made it through last season healthy, didn't miss any games after coming off the ACL tear. Of course, fair to wonder if the AC, if the repaired ACL was still limiting his play some. It certainly kept him from running very much. We'll see if he adds that to his game going forward or if he's just not going to run the ball much. He did have seven games last year with pro football focus passing grades of 80-plus. Five of those seven games came week 12 or later. And I mentioned week 12 because that was the game that marked him being a year beyond the ACL tear from the season before. So... I think it's a small sample. Maybe it's just noise, but it's also possible that by the end of the year, which also included him working his first season with Jamar Chase, you know, getting his first full season of action. So all these things kind of coming together. I think it's worth noting that it seems he was playing his best at the end of last season. We'll see where things go from there. And he had a damn good season overall. I mean, he Burrow finished first for the season in PFF passing grade. He was also first in the NFL in completion rate, first in adjusted completion rate, first in yards per attempt, first in adjusted yards per attempt. I mean, you know, he finished quarterback seven in total fantasy points. He was just 15th in total pass attempts. So, you know, he did it on efficiency, which is a little scary. Like, again, I think all that stuff's going to regress a little bit. But I also, you know, I, I believe in him as a player, obviously believe in the weapons. And, again, I think the Bengals are going to throw it a bunch more this year than last. So, you know, Burrow averaged – 32 and a half pass attempts per game last year. I haven't projected for 35 and a half attempts per game this year, which is a pretty big jump. So even if the efficiency does drop off a bit, you know, that, that volume should help make up for it. Yeah. And of course that, that particular number is a calculated guess. So we'll see about that. But at the same time, if they throw the ball less than that, it's probably because they're leading, which probably means they're playing efficiently and scoring and creating yards. So feel okay about projecting a bump in that area. There are, Areas for potential regression, as we've alluded to, and multiple of them, six and a half percent touchdown rate last year, 70.4% completion rate, 8.9 yards per attempt. I think he's well set up to be near or at the top of the league in completion rate and yards per attempt. There's still room for a slight drop there. The touchdown rate, I think, is the one that you watch the most because you just don't normally get quarterbacks staying at or above 6%. We do have some guys who can do it. You know, maybe he's Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers in that particular area. He's got the wide receivers to do it. But last year, Joe Burrow ranked just 18th in percent of pass attempts thrown into the end zone, tied for 10th in touchdowns on such plays. So 
highly efficient on those scored more touchdowns than he should have based on how many pass attempts he was throwing in that range. You know, again, got the star receivers and he was toward the top of the league and average depth of target. So should be efficient in terms of production. You know, the, the, the reason he isn't higher in our rankings and I don't think he has you know, upside to the top of the, the position is because he's you know not going to give you big rushing pressure. Maybe he gives us a bit more this season, you know, another year removed from the ACL, but you know, he, he's not going to be up there with your, you know, Kyler Murray's Jalen hurts, even, even Josh Allen, as far as rushing production goes. So yeah, that's what, um, that's what keeps him in, in that you know, outside that top tier quarterbacks for me. Running back Joe Mixon, fourth in PPR scoring last year, tied for sixth in points per game, fourth and half PPR and non PPR points per game, second in the league in carry share behind only Najee Harris. So he was ahead of Jonathan Taylor in that category, despite sitting out the finale and being limited by an ankle a little bit through the middle of the season. Mixon was closer to average in the underlying metrics, Jared, but I mean, it was, he was the guy that we always talk about him being in terms of fantasy production last year. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun season after, you know, being on Mixon for the, the previous few years and him disappointing a bit. He definitely delivered last year. He, he did overachieve his usage. So he was RB, you said RB four and half PPR points per game. He was RB 10 in expected half PPR points per game. Most of that, you know, overachieving came in the touchdown department. He scored 13 rushing touchdowns versus just 10 expected scores. Um, he had the he had a career high 4.5% rushing touchdown rate. NFL average is around 3.3%. So he definitely scored at a at a higher clip than average. Um, he's also in an off, awesome offense, and he's a big time talent. So I think he does have big touchdown upside again this season. We'll see about the receiving stuff. I mean, he was okay in that department last year. He was good enough. I still think there's room for more. Uh, Mixon was 28th among RBs in targets, 16th in catches, 19th in receiving yards. Um, but the Bengals were not using him on third downs. They were, you know, putting Samaj P. Ryan on the field over Joe Mixon on third downs, which seems crazy to me. But, um, you know, we, we can't complain. Again, Mixon put up the nice fantasy production last year. I do think his ceiling is obviously capped if he's not going to get those third down snaps. Um, but again, being a workhorse ball carrier in this Bengals offense behind what's going to be a much better run blocking O-line too. Um, yeah, I think, I think Mixon set up for another nice season. He could have top three upside if they gave him more of those yes. passing down snaps. I don't know if they'll want to, I do know that at the end of last year, they gave him more. So through week 15, Mixon had 7.7% target share from week 16 on. And that's through the playoffs. He was at 15.3%, which is a large number for running back. I certainly wouldn't expect him to be at 15.3% for this season, but if we can cut it somewhere in between 15.3 and 7.7, that would certainly help a guy yep. who, as you mentioned, already had good luck on touchdowns. And I think he's well set up to continue having good luck on touchdowns because he's the best running back in the backfield. He's on what should be one of the best offenses. There should be scoring opportunities. So, I, I mean, Mixon, I think right now he is in a range where he belongs and certainly a guy that I still think has upside among those yep. players that he's around in ADP. Yeah, not as big a value as he was last year, but – um. Yeah, you know, I guess I'm surprised he's not going a bit higher in drafts after the year he's coming off of. And, you know, Mixon turns just 26 in a few days, actually. So, you know, I'm not worried about decline for him yet. Pass catcher group, Jamar Chase, you know, this time last year, I was like, uh, rookie has never done what people are <laughs> drafting him to do at ADP. I was wrong. I should have drafted some Jamar Chase because he just is that absolute top shelf, can't miss prospect that many said that he was heading into last season. 
Yeah, third most PPR points per game by a rookie since the uh, NFL merger in 1970, behind only Odell Beckham and Randy Moss, had the most receiving yards by an NFL rookie. Uh, top 10 among qualifying wideouts in both PFF receiving grade and yards per route run. And the only scary thing about Chase is that he finished fifth in half PPR points per game last year. He was just 21st in expected half PPR points per game. The point differential between his actual points and his expected was the second biggest behind only Debo Samuel. So he really overachieved his usage. He's an elite talent, so he's going to be much more efficient than your average wideout. Um, and I also think, again, the Bengals are going to throw more this year. So even if Chase's you know share of the passing game stays the same, he's going to get more targets because the Bengals are going to throw more. So I'm, I, yeah, I'm obviously not going to bet against the guy, despite the fact that he had all these, you know, uh, crazy efficiency numbers last season. Yeah, and that's the thing with him is none of us are betting against Jamar Chase, the player at this point, but to draft him now, you also have to bet that the Bengals are going to throw the ball a lot more, or you're just betting that he's going to have crazy efficiency, which is not a good bet on anybody because nobody can be counted on for crazy efficiency every single season. So we'll see where this goes. I, I'm, I'm very interested to see exactly how Jamar Chase's season plays out because it's not... Yeah. You know, it's not hard to imagine him disappointing relative to ADP, like kind of similar to what Stefan Diggs did last year, where he didn't have a bad year, but because yeah. everybody jumped him into round one, it felt more disappointing than it really was. Yeah, like, like I, I love Chase. I think mean, to me, he's the clear number three, but he's the clear number three. Like I do prefer Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson over him pretty easily. I get the idea if you're playing in a bunch of these best balls, you want to you know, diversify and maybe you get some Chase. But if I'm just if I'm just in one draft. And, you know, I'm taking one of those wideouts. I'm taking Cup and Jefferson over over Chase. Yeah, I think that he is more in the mix with the guys behind him than he is closer to Jefferson Cup. I agree with that. T. Higgins is maybe at least a small part of the reason why. You'd like to say that both guys can earn targets, and there are enough to support both of them. But, you know, most wide receivers, like most number one wide receivers, don't have a number two as good as T. Higgins competing for stuff. And T. Higgins has been good through a couple of years now. I mean, last year, despite... Chase's historic rookie season Higgins 12th among receivers in half PPR points per game he was 20th in expected half PPR points per game so he overachieved too but T Higgins finished ahead of Jamar Chase in expected half PPR points per game and th this is one of my uh, favorite stats I've seen this offseason it's from CBS's Jacob Gibbs he's an awesome follow on Twitter he's he's like underrated he should have more followers um, so he looked at Chase and Higgins were on the field together for 469 routes last year. Higgins saw 108 targets to Chase's 93 on those 469 routes. And Higgins also scored more PPR points than Chase on those routes. So I'm not going to argue that Higgins is a better receiver than Chase. I think, you know, Chase is still getting better. Higgins is too, but yeah, Chase is a better receiver, I think. But the gap is not that big. And, you know, both these guys can be top 12 wide receivers as, as they were last year. Yeah. And you can listen to a stat like that. It is a great stat, by the way. You can listen to a stat like that and say, all right, nerds, you're getting too far into it. Jamar Chase was awesome. He's going to stay awesome. But we're at a level here where we're splitting hairs when we're talking about whether to, to draft Jamar Chase. Because like I said, nobody's against the talent. It's just a matter of whether you have to take him in the middle of round one. So yeah. it's something to pay attention to. It, it wouldn't be out of the question. It's not like if yeah. T Higgins finishes this season with more fantasy points than Jamar chase, you can't look back on that and say, Oh my God, where did that come from? There was absolutely no, no signal that could happen. Yeah. And uh, last note on Higgins, he played almost the entire season with a shoulder injury that required surgery after the super bowl. He hurt that shoulder in week two. He missed, he missed what, what was it? The next two games, I think. 
then he, you know, then he played through it the rest of the year. Um, he is expected to be a full go for training camp. So the shoulder shouldn't be a concern this year, but you know, worth noting that he was playing through it all last season. How good those two players are makes Tyler Boyd really an afterthought at this point. And you, you'll still find people talking about how he's a best ball value. He's fine where he's going, but there's also basically no upside here unless one of those two guys goes down because Tyler Boyd much more than either Jamar Chase or T Higgins needs target volume. And he's just not going to get it now. Yeah. Boyd was wide receiver 38 and a half PPR points per game. But if you remove the two games that T Higgins missed, Boyd drops to 46th in half PPR points per game. And he, he was 67th in expected half PPR points per game in those games, you know, with T Higgins. So he was another guy like Higgins and Boyd, um, overachieve or like Higgins and Chase overachieved the usage he got. Um, you know, m- maybe that continues because this offense is going to be awesome again. And again, the increased pass volume would help Tyler Boyd. He's okay as a basketball pick, but I, I think I'm with, I'm with you that in lineup setting leagues, you're going to need a-, a Higgins or Chase injury to-, to really feel good about starting Boyd. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying don't draft Tyler Boyd, but don't draft Tyler Boyd and say, aha, I stole him from you guys because that's just not what he is at this point. Yeah. Um, Hayden Hurst is the new tight end. I think he's their new tight end, not because they targeted Haven Hayden Hurst, but because they want to not spend too much money on Hayden Hurst. And he has already been given up on by first the team that drafted him in the first round and then the team that traded a second round pick to acquire him. Yeah. So Hurst is stepping in for CJ Ozoma, who was Cincinnati's lead tight end last year. And Ozoma only finished 26th among tight ends in half PPR points per game. He was 29th in expected points per game. He was 21st among tight ends in targets. The one thing you can point to from Uzoma's 2021 season to get kind of excited about Hurst is that Uzoma was fifth among tight ends in pass routes. So he was out on the field. If you think Hurst is good enough to you know command more targets than CJ Ozoma, then you know maybe he he finishes quite a bit higher. I, I don't I'm not sure Hurst is significantly better than, than CJ Ozone, but despite the fact that, you know, he was for some reason, a, a first round pick back in what was it? 2018. I mean, the free agent market tells us that the league certainly doesn't think Hayden Hurst is better than Uzoma. Maybe it's just the jets that thought Uzoma was worth that much money, but I got to think that there's at least some market research that goes into the three-year contract they gave him versus the one-year contract that Hayden Hurst got from Cincinnati. So I would not expect bigger numbers from Hurst than we got from Uzoma last year. So there's really nothing exciting. So moving on to the ADP review section and Joe Burrow is at QB seven, which just happens to be right where he sits in our quarterback rankings. If you look at DraftSharks.com right now, 71.2 in overall ADPs one round behind Kyler Murray, less than a round behind Jalen hurts, just ahead of Russell Wilson and Trey Lance, a little bit more than a round ahead of Tom Brady, more than a round ahead of Dak Prescott and two rounds ahead of Matthew Stafford. Jared, I think it's an okay range for Joe Mm -hmm. Burrow. I think two things keep me from actually targeting him, though. One, I don't think there's a huge difference between him and Matthew Stafford besides the two-round difference in ADP. And yeah. two, it's a very expensive stack to get Joe Burrow and either of the Cincinnati wide receivers in those best ball tournament drafts on underdog. Yeah, I mean, in a vacuum, I definitely prefer Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Trey Lance at ADP. I think Burrow is fine where he is if I – land on Jamar Chase, you know, at cost, if I get him at fifth or sixth overall, or if I, if I get T Higgins, you know, near the two, three turn and I can get Burrow, you know, at or around ADP, I'll do it. Um, but, but otherwise, you know, he's, he's not like a standalone fantasy target for me. Again, it's just because the rushing, he doesn't have that ultimate ceiling. 
Yes, I agree with that. He's somebody I'll consider if I get one of the top two um, wide receivers for them. And, you know, for what it's worth, he has come down a little bit from where he opened draft season back in like February when we were all on Bengals high. He was quarterback four, I believe, in the earliest of underdog drafts, which (laughs) was crazy. So I'm glad that there's been some sense added to the, uh, the collective. Joe Mixon, RB7, as I mentioned, he's in that late round one range. Actually can get into round two. I uh, like him where he's going. Yeah, again, he's you know closer to where he should be than where he was last year, but I still think he's slightly undervalued there. And yeah, he's a guy I definitely like if I'm picking near that one-two turn. Jamar Chase, wide receiver three in the middle of round one. T. Higgins, wide receiver 10. Just behind him are A.J. Brown, both Chargers, Michael Pittman. So I think it's a fair range for T. Higgins. And then Tyler Boyd, wide receiver 51, which I think is a fair range for him too. Yeah, so we have Chase, wide receiver three, right where he's going. We have Higgins, wide receiver nine, one spot ahead of where he's going. I believe we have Boyd, wide receiver 50, which is one spot ahead of where he's going. So, you know, these guys are all fairly priced. Yeah, it looks like the market is treating the Bengals just as we think that it should. Um, Hayden Hurst, tight end 23. I, you know, if you want to take him there, fine. It's late enough, but he's yeah. less than a round behind Evan Ingram. He's less than a round and a half behind David Njoku and Noah Fant. And he is absolutely nowhere near any of those players in my personal rankings. No, me either. Um, I, I don't mind Hurst though. Cause I think if there's, you know, one of these tight ends going, you know, past tight end 20 and ADP that, that could score six, seven, eight touchdowns. It's Hurst just because the offense he's in I actually posted that article on draft sharks a couple weeks ago, just looking at, you know, the tight ends in tight end 13 to 24 ADP in that range, the ones that overachieve are usually on like top 10 offenses because you know, they just have those touchdown opportunities and that Hurst definitely qualifies there. So um, he's a guy I'll take as my third tight end, maybe as my second tight end behind like Travis Kelsey. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I definitely, like you said, I definitely prefer Njoku and Ingram who are going in a you know, similar spot in ADP. If I'm waiting to draft a tight end at that particular spot and somebody takes Evan Ingram right before it gets to me, then I'll angrily take Hayden Hurst, but that's where he is on my board. Exactly. On to the Cleveland Browns, another team that didn't really do a whole lot on the coaching change front. You know, we'll talk about what the big changes is with them, but what do we have coaching wise here? Yeah, uh, Kevin Stefanski back as head coach, Alex Van Pelt back as OC for their third year in Cleveland. They've been remarkably consistent in their first two seasons um cleveland's finished 20th in plays in both of those years they've been 21st and then 24th in situation neutral pace um they've been 29th and then 27th in pass rate 21st and then 20th in situation neutral pass rate so you know it's been a uh, below average pace and then you know a run leaning offense and I, I think as you alluded to you know the question is how many games we get to sean watson for and then in those games how much do the browns shift towards the pass And that's the thing that keeps all of this from being a real stat evaluation like it is with any other team is none of us, apparently not even the NFL yet, (laughs) knows how long Deshaun Watson is going to be on the field. And, you know, we're all waiting to find that out. I haven't projected a 56-44 pass run. I don't know how how much to say about why, because it could all change. I think it would be less than that if we find out tomorrow that Watson's gone for the season and it's Jacoby Bissett the whole time. Yeah, so I'm right there at 56, 44, too. Um, and that's assuming we get 11 games of Watson. So, you know, if we get more, you know, that could bump up to 58, 59%. If we get less, if we get no games of Watson, then I, you know, go right back to the 52% pass they were at in Stefanski's first season in Cleveland. So, yeah, this, this is obviously the toughest team in the NFL to talk about right now because it all depends on the Watson news. 
And of course, Deshaun Watson, we all know he is excellent in real football. He is excellent in fantasy football. That's the only reason anybody's talking about him right now. If he, su- if he were a backup quarterback, he would be out of the league right now. Uh, Cleveland never would have traded for him, and we would not care about him in fantasy drafts. But when he's on the field, he's been excellent. There are not a whole lot of strong receiving options in Cleveland, but there's enough to support him there. So if he is playing, he's probably going to be a fantasy factor. Yeah, I mean, he was an excellent passer in his you know four years in Houston. He averaged 30 rushing yards per game over his final three seasons when he was the full-time starter. Watson finished fifth, fourth, and then seventh among quarterbacks in points per game those three seasons with the Texans. So I, I, I do think he's a top 10 fantasy quarterback, maybe even higher than that, you know, in points per game for however many games he plays this season. And he... You know, you you can draft him in the best ball tournaments right now because the rumors for a little while there, I think we're all assuming he was going to be out for the entire season. That seemed to be the way things were trending. The latest rumors have it more like a half a season at most. We'll see where things end up landing. I would love to know how much of that is like the NFL floating things to see what would get (laughs) them in the most trouble and what uh, people could choke down. I mean, Mm -hmm regardless, it feels absolutely gross to draft Sean Watson right now, because then to put him on one of those tournament teams, you have to root for the NFL to bring him back much sooner than they will. Calvin Ridley, who just bet on a football game while he was not playing football. So I mean, everything about the Deshaun Watson situation is just like, I don't know, stomach churning, I guess. Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I'm an a-hole, but I, I am able to separate that stuff from my fantasy teams. I mean, we don't know any of these guys, you know, any of these guys could, you know, could be bad, bad dudes. So I don't know. I, I think all the off field stuff aside, I think Watson is actually an excellent pick in these best ball tourneys right now because he has that massive upside. And, you know, if he plays this season, it's going to be at the tail end where all that money is in, in underdog and in the FFBC best ball tournament. So um, I, he, I've, I, I've, I've been drafting a lot of Deshaun Watson, not saying I support the guy off the field, but I do think he's a good fantasy football pick. I would say regardless of where the suspension ends up, I would not put him on lineup setting teams because I think you can be okay without, even if he gets to like QB 20 range, I don't think you need to sit that guy on your bench because you're obviously going to need to start to pick somebody who's starting the beginning of the season for you. Uh, I just think that there are better options and better ways to spend that roster spot than to wait on a quarterback who, you know, as good as he is, still will be getting used to a new place and a place that has been run heavy over the past couple of years under Kevin Stefanski. So perhaps not a ceiling inducing yeah. situation for Deshaun Watson's fantasy upside. When he hasn't played football in a year either, which, you know, is a factor. Now he has been practicing with the Browns. Um, you know, they, they've, they've let him do that this whole time. So he's at least been getting comfortable in the offense. All right, let's move on to the guys that we know are expected to play in week one. Running back, where Nick Chubb, the pro is that he's awesome. The con is that he plays a position where that doesn't matter quite as much as it does (laughs) at other positions. And the problem there is, you know, Nick Chubb is good enough that if he were commanding Derrick Henry level usage, then we'd be like, okay, Nick Chubb, first round, that's fine. He ranked 14th in the league in opportunities per game last year, 18.1 combined carries and targets per contest, 14th in that category overall over the two seasons under Kevin Stefanski, 14th at the position last year in total opportunity share, just 27th in red zone snap share, despite ranking 15th in total run play snaps. So 
even the Browns don't want to put him on the field enough, give him the ball enough to be a dominant force and control games. And all those you know, volume stats you mentioned, that was despite Kareem Hunt missing a bunch of time last year. Hunt and Chubb were really only healthy together for the first five games of last season. In those games, Chubb, Chubb averaged 18 carries in those games, but just one target per game across those five games. He was 16th among running backs and expected half PPR points in those five games. He was ninth in you know, actual half PPR points, and so he's going to be more efficient than average because, as you said, he's an awesome player. Um yeah, he just doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't get, he hasn't got the passing stuff throughout his career. And he, last year he averaged 1.4 catches per game, you know, despite again, Kareem Hunt being out for a lot of that. Um, and then you know, he doesn't get the massive rushing workloads because Kareem Hunt there is there. And he's a, he's a pretty good player as well. And he gets some bump if Kareem Hunt goes down, but still isn't controlling targets in that case. So it doesn't have that upside if Kareem Hunt goes down. So, you know, it's just not quite enough to get excited about Nick Chubb wherever he's going in round two. And it, he usually stays in round two, maybe early round three. If he gets to round three, fine. Yeah. But that, that's that got to happen for him to actually be enticing. Yeah, he is, I believe, like about a half round cheaper this year than he was last year. Wasn't he going like mid-second last year? I think so. And this year, this year on like underdog, he's he's a two three turn pick, and he does get you know into the early or mid third round sometimes. Yeah, I can certainly see him there. I will not fault anybody for taking Nick Chubb in yep. round three. Kareem Hunt finished last season twenty first in PPR and half PPR points per game, thirty first in expected PPR points per game. So outperformed that, as you mentioned, did have I believe it was a calf injury last year, right? The calf knocked him out for a bunch of time. He also had wrist and knee injuries early in the season. He had an ankle injury late in the season. So Hunt only officially – he appeared in eight games last year. He was really only, you know, even close to healthy for the first six. Um, one of those came without Nick Chubb. In, you know, in those five games where Chubb and Hunt were healthy, um, Hunt was actually sixth in half PPR points per game, but he was just 21st in expected points per game. He averaged – 11 carries and 4.2 targets in those five games. I, I think that's about what you're looking at this season, um, which puts him on that border where like he's tough to count on in season long, but, but you do know he's going to give you some spike weeks. Cause again, he is a good player. He has that passing down roll. Um, and then if Chubb misses time, you know, hunt, hunt's a high end handcuff as well. Yeah. Get ready to drink. Cause he's better in best ball. Um, we have Dearness Johnson there and he got three games at, of lead back work last year, 19 plus carries in all three of those games, 99 plus rushing yards in all three of those single digit touches in the rest of the games. Uh, he's interesting if Kareem Hunt gets traded and there was a decent amount of time so far this offseason. I'm not sure where public opinion is right now overall, but there are a lot of people expecting Kareem Hunt to be gone and even talking about him being cut. Cleveland has no reason to cut Kareem Hunt. He's not costing them too much. They have enough money where I could see him moving on this off season is if another team has an injury or just gets close to the season and realizes it needs more at running back, I could see them trading Kareem Hunt because his contract's mm -hmm. up after this season. So he would certainly be, he could potentially be worth more to them in that trade yep. than he would be playing out the season. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And in that case, Dearness Johnson would be interesting in fantasy. You know, maybe you're picking Johnson now to try to get ahead of that. But I, I don't think Johnson is going to be a fantasy factor if Chubb and Hunt are on this roster this season. Um, you know, Johnson's a, he, he's a, he looked good in those few games. He got significant opportunity. I think the takeaway, though, is that you know, it's not hard to look good in this offense. It's a good system. It's, a, it's one of the best O-lines in the NFL. Um, so it's a good spot for the running game. The other thing here, too, we haven't talked about is, again, if – Watson plays all or most of the season. 
if we do think that's going to mean more passing for the Browns, that hurts the running backs, especially Nick Chubb, who, you know, isn't going to do much in the passing game and, you know, maybe his, his rushing volume declines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a good situation for running backs as long as you don't have to pay too much for him. We'll talk about ADP in a minute. Amari Cooper is the new number one wideout. He's certainly waiting to see who the quarterback's going to be. And, you know, assuming that, Deshaun Watson is going to miss at least a large chunk of the season only further hurts a guy that really is iffy to begin with. So Amari Cooper has been a talented player. He's had plenty of pockets of production, but he has never been uh, a target hog at any point. He's been with two teams now looking by year. And I've got this in his player profile on draftsharks.com rankings page or the Amari Cooper player page. Starting with 2015 in Oakland at that point, 21.5% target share, 22.1, 22.4, 20.3 in that year that he split between Oakland and Dallas, 19.9 with the Cowboys, 20.3 in Dallas, and then 19.7% last year for the Cowboys. So just a guy that has always gotten either low wide receiver one level target share or wide receiver two level. So even though he's in an, he's in a place now where he should be the number one guy and maybe he gets to 24 plus he has yet to be the guy that gets that. So if targets are earned, Cooper's not really earning them yet. Right now we have 44% of Cleveland's 2021 targets are gone. Um, and, you know, it's we'll talk about the guys behind him, Eric Cooper, but it's you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones and rookie David Bell and Anthony Schwartz. Um, so there's definitely a chance Cooper sets a career high in target share this season. I don't know if betting on it is smart, you know, for a guy who's, you know, what, about to turn 28 years old or turn 28 years old last month. Um, again, you like the rest of this team. Cooper's fantasy value comes down to how many games he has Deshaun Watson for because Jacoby Brissett as the backup. You know, it's, it's not going to be pretty if that's if that's Cooper's quarterback. And he absolutely should set a career high in target share this yeah. year. He played with the Raiders. He played with Michael Crabtree with the Cowboys. It was Michael Gallup and then CD lamb arrived. So there are plenty of challengers for targets. Now the whole thing about targets being earned is we don't want to say, we don't want to blame too much on the situations, but everybody in Cleveland besides Amari Cooper is not close to the level of Crabtree Gallup CD lamb. So there should be a bump there. Of course, that is then balanced negatively by what should be a low volume pass offense and the quarterback question. So it keeps you from getting excited overall, for sure. The other wideouts in this offense, Donovan Peoples-Jones, David Bell, look like the other two among the top three. I can't say that I'm excited about either guy, especially given the situation. Well, you know, DPJ is my guy. Um, so I still have some interest in him. It, again, if Deshaun Watson is there, um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, 11.55 yards per target over the past two seasons, second highest among 136 receivers with 50-plus targets over that span. Now he's not nearly as high in yards per route run, which we know is you know much more predictive than yards per target. But the yards per target speaks to Peoples-Jones' downfield ability. Um, his average depth of target the last two years, uh, 17.6 yards as a rookie, 15.6 yards last year. So he is that deep ball guy. And Deshaun Watson's a good deep ball passer. He was second in PFF PFF deep passing grade in 2019, 10th in 2020. So I do think it's a good match between those two. Um, and it, it does sound like, you know, there was just a, a positive report on people's Jones, the Browns being high on him. He probably has to hold off Anthony Schwartz who the Browns took in the, what was it? Third round last year. But I, I think DPJ is the better prospect. 
He should be. I mean, we were all surprised when Anthony Schwartz went in round three last yes. year. So we'll see what happens there. I will say this. I love Donovan Peoples-Jones as a best ball tournament pick this year. He's wide receiver 93 in underdog ADP right now. So, I, you know, you're taking him as like your last wide receiver pick, and he's either going to give you nothing or two catches for 85 yards and a touchdown. For all these Browns riders are, are- – I think price is if we're going to get no Deshaun Watson or very little Deshaun Watson this season. So I think they're all going to rise if, if we, you know, if we get that Deshaun Watson news and it's, you know, better for him than people expect. Yeah. And we'll get to those more specific ADPs in a moment, but before that, David Njoku franchised by the team quickly extended four years, nearly $55 million on that extension. Kevin Stefanski says that Njoku has evolved into a complete tight end and will be quote, big part of what we plan to do. The team second and fourth in tight end target share in the two seasons under Stefanski so far last year, still found Austin Hooper, just 22nd among tight ends and target share David and Joku 27th. So, you know, we need to see how those things are going to combine and what role Harrison Bryant plays, but there's upside to Njoku and not too much excitement based on his ADP so far. He's also one of just four guys on this year's Browns team who have actually caught a hundred career passes so far in the NFL, Amari Cooper, David Njoku, Kareem Hunt, and Jakeem Grant is the fourth one in that group. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little surprised Njoku isn't getting more buzz, isn't going higher in drafts. And you know, there's, there's reasons to be skeptical of him. I mean, you know, 2019 and, and 2020, he did absolutely nothing. He, he did deal with some injuries over that span. Even last year, he didn't really hit the fantasy radar, but that was because he was splitting snaps and targets with Austin Hooper and Joku, Last year was 16th in PFF receiving grade and 11th in yards per route run among 35 qualifying tight ends. So he did play well. He was pretty efficient. Um, prior to that, you know, 386 yards and four touchdowns as a rookie. That's a nice rookie season at tight end. Goes for 639 yards and four scores on 56 catches in his second NFL season. He finished uh, ninth among tight ends and half PPR points that year. Um, and then, you know, he was the he was a first round pick in 2017. Um, big time athlete, 93rd percentile relative athletic score. So, and he's still just 26 years old. I believe he was 20 when he was drafted. So he is still young. I think you know, he still might be getting better and plenty of target opportunity this season with Austin Hooper gone and Jarvis Landry gone. Um, and then again, it comes down to the quarterback upgrade. You know, how, how many games of Deshaun Watson does David Njoku get? Yeah, we were all like, hey, David Njoku might have a bright future. And Cleveland was like, ooh, we can get Austin Hooper and crush David Njoku's value for the next couple of years. But, you know, it sounds like Stefanski and I assume his staff were just like, well, we don't really like where Njoku's at right now. We're going to bring in a veteran. And now they like where he's at because signing him and trading for Amari Cooper and then, you know, trading for Deshaun Watson, it all wound up forcing them to dump Austin Hooper. So clearly they were like, we definitely want David and Joku around, even if it means we have to give up on Austin Hooper. So I'm optimistic and you don't have to be too optimistic to buy him at the price, which we'll get to now in the ADP review section, quarterback Deshaun Watson's QB 23, Jacoby Brissett's QB 36. You know, we've talked about the why there and the what uh, running back Nick Chubb, RB 13 Kareem hunt, RB 31 within a round ahead of hunt, are Rashad Penny, Damian Harris, CEH, Tony Pollard, around behind Kareem Hunt, uh, Chase Edmonds, Devin Singletary, Kenneth Walker, Ramondre Stevenson. So I think it's a fair range. I think that Kareem Hunt smashes most of the guys there in ultimate ceiling if things break his way. Well, I think he's I think he's right there with Pollard, I guess, as far yep. as you know, ceiling if with an injury in front of him. Um I also think Hunt 
can beat running back 31, even if Chubb plays all season. I think, you know, he's good enough. He sees enough volume. The O-line's good enough ahead of him. So I, I, I think Hunt's a good pick at RB31. Um, and I think Chubb is right where he should be. RB13 sounds good. Yeah, I think fantasy drafters finally, finally getting Nick Chubb right. Yep, I think it's a fair level for him. I think it's a fair level for Kareem Hunt. Um, I think Kareem Hunt is more attractive as a best ball running back than he is in lineup setting because he will contribute when Chubb is injured. But in order to comfortably start him, you either need a weak running back core or a Nick Chubb injury. So I don't love having him on a lineup setting roster. I would like, I would rather have probably Damian Harris, Devin Singletary, Chase Edmonds, just looking at guys among that range that I mentioned. That's, that's, that's fair for, for lineup setting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think those guys will be more reliable week to week because they're going to get more volume. Dearness Johnson, RB 66. So an end of the draft consideration. I know there are some who are like, I'm definitely getting Dearness Johnson. That's not my range, but I can see the logic to adding him some, especially in case Kareem Hunt gets traded. I think if you do pick Dearness Johnson, that's what you're hoping for is a Kareem Hunt trade. Right. He probably shoots up what? 15 or 20 running back ADP spots if Hunt gets traded. So you're, you know, that, that's what you're playing for by picking him there. You're just, you're playing for the Hunt trade or release. Yeah, it might even get into the 40s. And by the way, that that possibility of a trade is another avenue of upside for Kareem Hunt. If you take him, that yeah. that might be reason to take him even in a lineup setting. If you're doing a draft early in August, you take him and see what happens there because it's not, you know, it's late enough that it's not crushing you if he is just stuck with Nick Chubb going into the year. Send him to Buffalo. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mari Cooper, wide receiver 31, which is well below where we haven't projected. I think a fair range for right now while we're waiting for the quarterback question to be answered, though. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if, if Watson suspended for the entire season, how much further does Cooper drop? And then if we and then if we get you know a four game suspension for Watson, how much does Cooper rise? Like, I think he should be at least in the mid twenties if he's going to have Watson for most of the season. Yeah, I think those are fair expectations there. David Bell's next at wide receiver eighty five, DPJ at wide receiver ninety three. Bell, I, I've taken him here and there. I'm not yeah. that interested because I think he needs higher volume or better efficiency. And it doesn't seem like he's well set up for either of those this year, even versus guys around him. If you like him, that's fine. Cause it's late. Um, but I I've been largely passing. And as I mentioned, I really like DPJ as an end of draft, you know, spike week wide out. Yes. Yeah. Glad to hear it. Um, yeah. I think DPJ is the better best ball pick. You know, he's the big play guy. He's the, he's the big fast athletic receiver. Who's going to make big plays and score touchdowns. Bell, Bell could be the better option in lineup setting leagues. You know, he could out target DPJ this season. He's you know, probably going to have the higher catch rate. He, he could be more, uh, you know, bankable from week to week. Bell's the guy to take. If you're not optimistic for Njoku. And if you don't think Amari Cooper is going to set a career high in target share, because if he doesn't, then David Bell is probably somewhere around 20%. And that's not exciting, but that's a level where he could be useful in like a wide receiver four for PPR range. Yeah. It'd be awesome if he gets anywhere close to 20%. Absolutely. Pittsburgh Steelers to round out the AFC North coaching changes. Nope. Uh, Mike Tomlin's in his 16th year in Pittsburgh. OC Matt Canada heads into his second season. The team actually stayed pass heavy in Canada's first year after switching from Randy Feekner, third most pass heavy in the league, but just 17th in situation neutral pass rate, fourth in situation neutral pass rate the year before. I would bet on this year's group being closer to that 17th 
in that category. We'll see just how good the team is this year. Their projected win total is already down from seven and a half to seven by Vegas numbers. That puts them well behind the Bengals at 10 Ravens at nine and a half Cleveland's off the board right now. Cause we're all waiting to see who their quarterback's going to be. Yeah. I mean, the question here, like you said, no coaching changes, but Ben Roethlisberger out of the picture and how much say did he have in this offense? You, you know, you read a lot of the stuff out of the Pittsburgh media and it's like, you know, Ben was basically calling the shots on this offense and, you know, they were, as you said, you know, were they 63% pass last season. I projected them all the way down at 58% this year. Again, I think, um, I think that's what more of a Matt Canada wants to be. They obviously have question marks at the quarterback positions. So I think you're going to see a pretty big dip in pass volume for the Steelers this year. I have them at 40, 59, 41 in my projection. I'm guessing they will run it more with either a recycled quarterback or a rookie quarterback versus the guy that was there forever. I also yeah. expect that either Mitchell Trubisky or Kenny Pickett will turn more dropbacks into running plays than Ben Roethlisberger did, especially the ghost of Ben Roethlisberger that we had last yeah. year. I also, though, if this team struggles, I mean, they could throw the ball more than they really want to. And the backfield remains pretty shallow behind Najee Harris. Yep, all fair. So quarterback, the question is who it'll be. It didn't sound like Kenny Pickett was particularly close in the spring to overtaking Mitchell Trubisky. If it isn't overtaking it, you know, didn't sound like he was especially close to winning the competition. So we'll see what happens as we get into summer. History says that we should expect Pickett as a first round pick to play at some point. The Texans joined the league in 2002. That made it 32 teams in the NFL. Since then, we've had 64 quarterbacks taken in round one. The 63 of those taken before this draft class averaged a week seven first start in the NFL. The median for that whole group was week four. So you can point to somebody like Patrick Mahomes or even, um, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz as guys that sat out their entire first seasons overall, though it's much more likely that the first round quarterbacks play at some point. Yeah. I expect Trubisky to start the year for Pittsburgh. I expect Pickett to, make starts as well. And I, I would bet on Pickett making more starts than Trubisky. So if you're, if you want to dabble in this situation, I, I do prefer Pickett. Um, I, I get, you know, what, what's working in these guys favor is it's a pretty nice group of pass catchers, you know, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, they draft George Pickens, Pat Fryermuth, Najee Harris. So it's a nice group of pass catchers. And both these guys can run a little bit, you know, Trubisky averaged 21 rushing yards per game with the bears. Um, Kenny Pickett tested as a 96th percentile athlete for the quarterback position with an 80th percentile 40 time. So he didn't have big rushing numbers at Pitt, but I think he's going to add some fantasy production with his legs. So, you know, that, that could make these guys, you know, mid-range quarterback twos when they're under center, but tough to get excited about the upside. And again, you know, you're, you're probably not going to get a full season out of either guy. Yeah, I would say don't get excited about anybody here, but there is some upside for super flex two quarterback formats. I would bet on Mitchell Trubisky myself because – of really just what you said, I expect him to start the season. So I have no idea what they're going to do beyond that. I don't look at Kenny Pickett and think, well, this guy is just on the verge of taking over an NFL team. To me, he didn't look like somebody who belonged in round one. So I could see the team, you know, being like, I think he needs some time, needs a little grooming before he's ready. So I'd rather take the guy that I expect to open the year on the field and see what happens. Mitchell Trubisky, has been all over the place. He has at least had pockets of fantasy production. If you look at the four years in Chicago, his points per game, fin- he finished, okay, let me let me try this again. His rankings in points per game for those four seasons, 37th, 11th, 32nd, and 14th. For that last one, 
it was for the eight full games that he played for that Bears team in 2020. Yeah, so I mean, nothing exciting there, and most of that was because of the rushing ability. Actually, uh, Trubisky had his best PFF passing grade as a rookie. His last three starting seasons with Chicago, he ranked 29th, 25th, and 30th. Um, so I, I just don't expect him to play well enough to hang on to the starting job for very long. And to me, like the argument for Kenny Pickett was he's this experienced college starter who's you know relatively pro ready at the position. So it's like I don't know if he can't beat out Mitchell Trubisky as a rookie that'd be kind of disappointing to me when it's usually a good sign that a quarterback arrives with lots of college experience I don't like though that Kenny Pickett was kind of a forgettable dude before he had one huge year at the end of five or wasn't it even six college seasons that he was around for I think he took a red shirt and then was around for five more years it was at least five college years for him though I think he was there five years and he started for four and then like you said he he really did nothing noteworthy until that final year when he was a fifth year senior. That's how you can tell it's an exciting situation because the <laughs> argument against Kenny Pickett is, eh, I don't think he's that good. And the argument for him is, eh, we already know Mitchell Trubisky is not that good. So that's why you shouldn't overinvest on anybody here. Exactly. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky did at least top 5% passing touchdown rate twice in his four bears season. So, you know, there's something going on. And as you mentioned, the best thing in their favor is the core of pass catchers, which we'll get to, uh, you know, I, I guess we're talking about running backs first, but mm-hmm. Najee Harris definitely factors into that pass catcher group um, was second in the league in carries last year, seventh in carries per game, third in opportunity share behind Derrick Henry and Alvin Kamara, which were of course uh, adjusted for games lost to injury, but also a very good pass catcher. And I'm not even sure that the version of Roethlisberger we got last year was able to optimize Harris's receiving because we can see stuff on his college tape for a guy that can do downfield passing work from the backfield. Yeah. Good prospect, obviously coming off a nice rookie season. And I mean, he's just, he was a workhorse last year. So Harris, you mentioned the carries and targets. He Harris led all running backs and snaps. He led all running backs in pass routes. Um, he finished third among running backs and expected half PPR points per game. He was you know, only ninth in actual half PPR points per game. So he did underachieve his usage. Maybe that happens again this year. I mean, I definitely have concerns with this offense, with the offensive line. You know, the O-line wasn't good last year. And I don't think it's going to be much better, if at all, this year. But, um, you know, it's just we know volume matters more than anything else, especially at running back. And I think Harris is, you know, as safe a bet as any running back, you know, to, to finish, you know, top three, at least top five in total touches this season. Yeah, I started out a little bit wary of him at cost. I've kind of weaned myself off of that because it's just the situation. He's going to get the ball a whole lot. And I don't think I think the thing that changed most for me is worrying less about his target count than I started out because you would think, uh, you know, old immobile quarterback perfect for dumping off to running backs but it's just not that simple when you look at the numbers it's it's less of a downgrade in that category this year to whoever ends up being the quarterback um and the rest of the backfield also is a big mark in Najee Harris's favor because it's still Benny Snell and Anthony McFarland behind him Benny Snell has showed us that he's just not that good and his work like the number of touches the team gives him have tailed off in recent seasons Anthony McFarland at least has some physical talent. He's a fast dude, but has given us Mm -hmm. nothing to like in the NFL so far. You know, you have to acknowledge that last year he tore an MCL right at the start of the season. So it didn't have much of a chance to deliver anything, but I'm not hearing word out of Pittsburgh that the Steelers are like, watch out for what Anthony McFarlane is going to be now that he's healthy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, McFarlane's the more intriguing 
prospect when you just look at the profiles, but um, it sounds like Snell is going to at least head to training camp as the number two guy. again. I, I was surprised Pittsburgh didn't add anything to this group this offseason because it is weak behind Harris. And if you're going to give Harris all those snaps and all those touches, you know, he, he is obviously going to, you know, carry elevated injury risk. But yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not drafting any of these Steelers backups at, at this point, at least. I agree. So let's move on to the wide receivers. It starts with Deontay Johnson. He dominated target share in Pittsburgh last year, 28% versus just 18.1% for number two, Chase Claypool ranked sixth among all wideouts in that category, ranked eighth in PPR points, third in total targets, fifth in reception. So he's been climbing in that area and continued that last season. Yeah. So I think the question with Deontay Johnson is how much of that target share was due to big Ben and just, the type of football he was playing late in his career where he was, you know, looking to get it out, looking to throw short and, yeah. And then versus how much was is due to just Deontay Johnson, you know, earning those targets, which we always talk about. Um, if you look at De- uh, Deontay Johnson's PFF receiving grades, 56th out of 84 receivers in 2020, 32nd among 89 receivers last year. Um, he finished lower in actual points per game than expected points per game each of the last two years. So he's, you know, underachieved versus usage. And the other, thing to consider with Deontay Johnson is, you know, he's going to, going to be a free agent this off season. There's you know, been talks that he's kind of interested in a new deal, but Pittsburgh hasn't really, you know, followed up on that. Haven't really, you know, seemed like they want to lock him up long-term. So I'm not sure Deontay is part of their long-term plans, which, you know, I think adds some, some volatility to his 2022 outlook. I agree with that. The Steelers are at least conservative relative to franchises historically in Mm -hmm. paying players. They're willing to let players go that have even been productive for them. We watched them, you know, let Juju Smith-Schuster hit the open market each of the past two years, only brought him back on the one-year deal last year. So certainly worth noting that they're like, eh, we can lose Deontay Johnson and still be okay. So we'll see where that goes. I, I would still certainly bet on him beating Chase Claypool in target share, but Chase Claypool could show a, I don't know. He's probably the bigger talent physically. He could turn that into more work going forward. At the least, I think in terms of uh, draft value between them, it's easier to like Chase Claypool oh, yeah. for me right now, especially in best ball season. Yeah, I'm betting on Deontay Johnson leading this team in targets too, but I don't think the gap is going to be as big as the ADP suggests right now. Um, I, I'm, I'm definitely buying Claypool, um, largely because of the ADP you alluded to. I mean, I think he's what wide receiver 50 and ADP right now. Um, you know, last year was bad for Claypool, admittedly, but even last year he finished 40th among receivers and half PPR points per game. And then you, know, you can't throw out his rookie year, which was super impressive. He finished 26th among receivers that year in half PPR points per game. Uh, he was 22nd in yards per route run. Um, you know, former second round pick, he's you know. 6'4", 238 pounds, super athlete. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely going to bet on Claypool when he's as cheap as he is right now. And the even though the target share split was large between them, 10 percentage points, the targeted air yard split was a lot closer. Right. It was, uh, let me try to get back to him in my notes now. It was like 32% for Deontay Johnson and 27.4%. For Claypool, so he gets downfield better than Deontay Johnson does, and that speaks to—I I hesitate to say talent gap, but maybe that is the way to say it. Maybe there is just at least a slight talent gap, a big enough talent gap to help make Chase Claypool more intriguing at their relative prices. Yeah, I mean Deontay Johnson was obviously a better fit with end of career Ben Roethlisberger than Chase Claypool was. Now I don't 
I don't know if Mitchell Trubisky or Kenny Pickett are the answer as far as, you know, getting the ball downfield to Chase Claypool, but it, it really can't be any worse than, than Roethlisberger was the past couple of years. Yeah, it was 32% versus 27% on targeted air yards between the two of them, favoring Johnson, but closer than their um, target share split. Yep. So, yeah, I, I think otherwise we're talking about ADP primarily with Claypool, but I, I like him very much in drafts right now. Joining them in the wide receiver core, George Pickens, and then a bunch of dudes trying to win the slot spot. But I, I guess, yeah. you know, that's the biggest question probably here is we like Deontay Johnson enough as a player. We like Chase Claypool enough as a player. George Pickens is talented. Who's the slot guy among them? Because none of them has been to this point, really, either in college or the pros. Man, I hope uh, Pittsburgh doesn't put, you know, who, who isn't it? They've got Gun- Gunnar Olszewski. Like, I hope they're not putting Gunnar Olszewski on the field just because he's a slot guy over George Pickens. You know, it should be those three guys. They put it, put him in the slot. It's not hard to go in the slot. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, De- I think Deontay could do it. I think Claypool could be your, your big slot. I mean, they, they, they can figure it out. Get your best three receivers on the field. Yeah, I would say I would think that their best option would be to move the guys around and have Johnson and Claypool be the slot co-leaders from there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you work some of the smaller guys in, but it doesn't seem like your best option is putting Gunnar Olszewski on the field or Calvin Austin, the third or Anthony Miller or Steven Sims. I mean, you know, we'll see if anybody emerges from them, but it, it would be annoying if one of them is the number three wide receiver. For sure. Yeah. I mean, P- Pickens is a guy I'm super intrigued by more dynasty than redraft. Although if you, if you get an injury to Deontay Johnson or, or Trace Claypool this season, Pickens could definitely, you know, be a fantasy factor, um, you know, 52nd overall pick, despite missing basically all of last season with a torn ACL, probably would have gone higher if it wasn't for that. But, um, you know, former five-star recruit, nice athlete, had good production at Georgia before tearing the ACL. So he, he's a guy I'm definitely interested in. You know, he might be a reason why the Steelers aren't, you know, needing to bring back Deontay Johnson if they see, you know, Pickens as, as, the, as the replacement starting in 2023. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they drafted him thinking, well, this is insurance in case Deontay Johnson goes. So yeah, either way, um, I, I, the, the quarterback situation makes it easier for me to not get too excited about George Pickens this year, but certainly yeah. like the long-term outlook for him. And then Pat Fryermuth's the other name to consider among pass catchers, 13th among tight ends and PPR points and half PPR points last year, just 25th though in target share. That jumped after Juju Smith-Schuster went down 6.7% over the first five games with Juju, 15.1% from week six on, where Fryermuth saw increased playing time with no Juju on the field. That number still would rank just 17th among tight ends, so not a big enough spike to get him into the top 12, which is where he's going. 16th among tight ends in total targets, tied for 13th in end zone targets. So that's like the the biggest, let's say green flag with Pat Fryermuth is even as a rookie with Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson around, the Steelers yeah. are like, we like this guy in the end zone. I mean, I think it was an awesome rookie season altogether. I mean, uh, 9.5 PPR points per game for Fryermuth last year, the fourth most by a rookie tight end over the past 10 seasons behind Jordan Reed, Evan Ingram, and then Kyle Pitts, you know, in, in Fryermuth's rookie class last year. And actually, if you look from week six on when you know his, his role did grow, um, 11.3 PPR points per game from week six on. That was eighth most among tight ends. So, you know, promising start to his career was a nice looking prospect coming into the NFL. Tough for me to get excited about this year, though, just because, you know, there's still tough target competition at wide receiver. And then we have the the quarterback issues. Um, so, Fry Moose, a guy I, I want to be betting on, especially like Dynasty long term. I like him. 
Uh, maybe we're too low on him for 2022, but you know, the, the numbers just kind of don't work out unless you expect the Steelers offense to be a lot better than, than we do. Yeah. He scored enough touchdowns last year to boost the overall outlook. So you have to really be in on him to be buying him either in dynasty or a redraft right now, because it's yep. pushing up his price. One other area though, where he could step <clears throat> up and where the QB change might be good for him. We talked about the solution at slot receiver. There's room for Fryermuth to be part of that slot solution. He was only, so among 44 tight ends who saw at least 30 targets last year, according to PFF, he ranked just 27th in slot rate, 40th in outside route rate. Um, his 32.3% slot rate last year was way down versus his 54% rate for his Penn State career. So he spent a lot more time as a slot receiver for the Nittany Lions than he did for last year's Steelers. And his average depth of target at Penn State was 9.4 yards versus 5.6 in that first year with Pittsburgh. So if we can get a little bit more time of him split away from the line, if we can get him targeted further downfield, like we said, with the quarterback that doesn't have an old broken down arm, <laughs> maybe we get some more efficiency, even without, you know, solving the target share issue for Pat Fryermuth. So, you know, there's, there's some upside path there, even if I still stop short of being excited about him. Right. He's got, I've, I've been wondering if we're too low on just because I, you know, again, the profile is really strong. Like he, he kind of checked all the boxes coming out of Penn state and then he turned into a really nice rookie season. So I, I definitely think uh, the future is bright for Friday. Muth, even if he's you know not going to totally break out this year because the situation is just not going to let him. And let's get into the ADP section, which I think allows us to talk more about whether we're too low or high on him quarterback. You know, we talked about Mitchell Trubisky's at QB 31, Kenny Pickett's at QB 32. So nobody's saying this is definitely the guy. And I think that's totally fair for both of them. Whoever starts will probably give you some spike weeks here or there with rushing and with the receivers that they have to work with Najee Harris, RB six. So we've clearly got Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey at the top. Next is more of a mix, though. Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook. Then there's Najee Harris. Then Joe Mixon, DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley. Eckler, Henry, Cook, Harris, and Mixon can kind of go in any order depending on the draft. And I think that's a fair range to consider Harris. Yeah, I just think Harris is the safest among those guys because I just think we know the volume is going to be there. And I mean, I, you know, they're all, they're all injury risk. You can argue who's riskier than the other as far as injury goes, but I think volume makes Harris safest. He might've the lowest ceiling among at least most of those guys you mentioned. Um, but I don't know, even in these big underdog tournaments, the big FFPC best ball tournaments, like floor is still good, especially in the first round. Like all, all these guys have ceilings. You know, Harris has a ceiling to finish as a top five fantasy back and he has a nice floor too. So I, I, I like drafting him if I can get him in, you know, the back half of round one. Yeah, I, I think he's fair. I'm not reaching ahead of the other guys around him for him. I, I would mix yeah. it up. I would mix up the exposures. It's not a range where I'm saying that's definitely my guy ahead of the others, though. I do like the whole collection of them and it helps me to take Stefan Diggs in the second half of round one, maybe Devonte Adams. I haven't gotten to him quite as much as Stefan Diggs yet. Saquon Barkley is going to be a bar though, that I use for a lot of guys in this range. And to me, He's very similar to Najee Harris. The only differences are one we've seen early in his career, like before all the injuries, Saquon Barkley is a better version of Najee Harris in that he's going to dominate rushing and receiving. And at full health, he's just a more talented player. Now coming to this giants team, it looks like he's in just the same situation as Najee Harris in terms of commanding work. The, backfield around him is Matt Breida and a bunch of dudes that you probably didn't realize were on the Giants right now so 
these two guys could be in line for very similar workloads. I'm not sure if either offense is actually going to be good. So I don't know if we get a boost in scoring opportunities there. And frankly, Harris has a better wide receiver core around him than Barkley does. So maybe that helps Barkley's target outlook. So that even helps me further to say, well, if I don't know which of these running backs I want here, I'm going to take Stefan Diggs. I'm going to take Devonte Adams. And then around the turn, I can probably at least find Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Or you can take both running backs, right? I, I was going to say the difference between Najee Harris and Saquon Barkley is their ADPs and Barkley's still sitting around too. Now he, he's climbing by the end of August. It might be a choice, you know, Najee Harris or Saquon Barkley. And I, I do think they're close. I think they're similar. I think they should be going in the same range. I think Barkley should be a late first round pick, but, um, as of now, you can get both those guys if you want. And I will chase Saquon Barkley wherever he goes ADP-wise this year. Normally, you know, you, you say, oh, I, I'm glad I got him early because he's too expensive now. Yeah. I'm going to chase Saquon Barkley. Oh. I'm not going to be the guy taking him third overall, but I'm going to chase him ADP-wise. Right. Yeah, I'll chase him to where he deserves to be chased, which, again, I think is the is the you know back half of the first round. Absolutely. Wide receivers for Pittsburgh. Deontay Johnson is at wide receiver 20. That's fair. Chase Claypool's at wide receiver 50. I think that's a value. We have him projected as wide receiver 44. I think it's in PPR. I'm not sure. It might be half PPR. But either way, like that's, I think, a fair expectation for his full season numbers. But there's spike week potential in there. And there's big upside that, you know, he gets a little bit more target share. He gets a little bit more efficiency. He just like he has, you know, some breakthrough potential to him this season. Yeah, wide receiver 43 and half PPR for us on Claypool. So seven spots ahead of ADP. We have, the, we have Deontay Johnson 24th and half PPR, so you know four spots behind ADP. I, I'm not super interested in Johnson at wide receiver 20, especially on underdog where it's half PPR. You know, he, he does have more value if you're getting the full point per reception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I take him, it's because I've waited on wide receiver and you know it's a range where nobody's exciting me, so I'll take a guy who was you know, top five in targets last year. George Pickens, wide receiver 76, fair range if you want him. I still haven't been drafting him there. Uh, like I said, the quarterback situation helps push push me away. Pat Fryermuth, tight end 12. Same, same kind of deal. He's fair. I'm not yeah. targeting him because there are guys available after, and especially the guys we've talked about that are way after. Um, Evan Ingram, Noah yeah. Fant, David Njoku. Yeah, I mean, maybe after talking this through, I should get some shares of Fryermuth, but I haven't yet. Um, he, he, you know, he's just going near the top of that. I think we've talked about like a big range of tight ends, like, you know, tight end 10 through 20. I think you can make a case for all those guys. And, and Fry Muth just tends to go, you know, as one of the first two or two or three guys out of that tier. Yeah. Like even if we don't look too far down the list, Hunter Henry has the same kind of profile in that the biggest thing working for him is that touchdown yeah. upside. We've seen it over multiple seasons with Hunter Henry. He's got a better quarterback. I'm going to assume uh, Mac Jones versus whoever yep. wins in Pittsburgh. And he's about two rounds behind Pat Fryermuth and ADP. So that might be the biggest single reason for me to not draft Pat Fryermuth right now. Totally agree. All right. Well, that's a good place to end the show then. This has been episode five, no episode six of the divisional preview series. We have two more to go next week, Jared. We got the NFC East. We got the AFC East. We also have another podcast going tonight at 7 PM Eastern. We're going to be interviewing Tayshawn Reed, of the athletic the Raiders beat writer to continue the beat writer series so looking forward to that looking forward to get his insight on what we can expect from a renovated Raiders offense got to find out about that backfield that's what I'm excited to ask uh, Tayshaun about 
That's right. So join us here. Uh, find the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Like us, subscribe, please, so you can get them delivered as soon as we post them. We appreciate you wherever you're listening to it. Hey, maybe even tell somebody else about it so that there can be somebody else listening. Leave us a review, a rating, whatever you do. Anyway, we appreciate all of it. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaff saying thanks so much for swimming with us. Mm-hmm.